This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. It's coming. It's getting closer. The consummation is coming. Now, here's the great task. This is what we talked about this morning. There, there is a, a, a sense in which um, we are being used as workers, co-workers with God in His kingdom, building a temple, so to speak. God uses us to do that through the proclamation of the gospel, evangelism. And so we, we, we are commanded to go. And that's what we covered this morning. Verse 19, we're commanded to disciple. Going, or as you're going, disciple. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to command, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that, that's a great task. And if the Lord had just said, look, here's what I want you to do. Go to all the nations and win the people over and um, report back to me and tell me how it goes. Good luck. Well, um, there would be plenty of reason to, to, uh, <laughs> to feel overwhelmed and, and despair, right? Uh, that's not the case. A couple of things here the Lord um, has given us here in, in what, he, what, what I just read, what He says here, that ensure that um, His plan is going to be carried out, that ensure that we're going to be able to do what He's called us to do. And, of course, the first one is His authority. In other words, He's in control. When, when, when we go to make disciples, we know... Or we do it knowing that the sovereign God, the one who has authority, the sovereign Lord, has all authority in heaven and on earth, is commissioning us. In other words, we're not, we're not going on our own. We're not acting in our own authority. And I think you, you, you see that here in a couple of places. First of all, he, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is, he has universal authority. Therefore, disciple. Therefore, disciple. Therefore, make disciples. In other words, he's saying you can do this because I'm telling you to do it and I have universal authority. We read, um, in fact, let me... Back in chapter 26, let me look back for just a moment here. When Jesus is being interrogated by the, uh, by the Sanhedrin, and the high priest, in, in chapter 26, verse 63, says, Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So, the high priest puts Jesus under oath and, say, and demands an answer. Tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us whether you're the Christ or not, the Son of God. And here's how Jesus answered in verse 64. You have said so. 
So that's an affirmative uh, answer. In other words, like saying, you, you say correctly. Then he goes on. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, that, that's a reference, intentionally, that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. I want to go there in just a second. Let me, let me take you back real quick to chapter 28. But keep in mind what Jesus said here to the high priest. I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, what I'm suggesting here is he, has, he still has that same thing in view in chapter 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, turn back with me to Daniel chapter 7. Just for a moment. And in his, uh, his vision, um, well, first of four kingdoms in the first part of the chapter, which is followed up by this vision of the, the Son of Man. Um, in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Remember that from Matthew 26, when he's talking to the high priest. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. Again, Jesus quotes in, in uh, Matthew 26. And he came to the Ancient of Days. So, in, in, in his answer to the high priest in Matthew 26, 64, Jesus is identifying himself as this one that Daniel saw. In his vision, and, and certainly the high priest and all of the Sanhedrin would have recognized immediately what he was doing. The Son of Man, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, Daniel 7, Daniel 7 uh, 13 says, Behold, I saw in the night visions, behold, the, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was... Presented before him, ancient of days being reference to God, God the Father. And in verse 14, and to him, that is to the Son of Man, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Does that sound familiar? What's the commission? Go, right? To all nations, that is all peoples. Go to all peoples. So here Daniel says he saw in his vision that the Son of Man was presented before the Ancient of Days, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, and, and that term glory again Jesus uses in Matthew 26, that you'll see the Son of Man coming in glory, coming in the clouds. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Now, what Daniel is seeing is the Son of Man being given universal and everlasting dominion. 
And Jesus is identifying himself with that vision. First, uh, in his response to the uh, chief priest, and now here in Matthew 28, 18. And he's using that as the as the basis um, for for the for the commission. In other words, go because I have all authority in heaven. Disciple, make disciples because I'm in control. Because all dominion, power, and glory has been given unto me. So therefore, as you're going. Make disciples. Disciple all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's a, incidentally, that's a, the essence of the, uh, of the, uh, the teaching there, which we, re- we really uh, didn't have time to get to this morning. But, but what, what, we're, what we're to be teaching everybody is to come into obedience to Jesus Christ. To submit to Him as Lord. Because He is Lord. I know sometimes we use the phrase, um, or we hear people use the phrase, make Jesus Lord of your life. But we, we know, don't we? Or hopefully we know that in reality, <laughs> he, he is Lord. I mean, what, what we're really saying to them is you need to acknowledge Him and, and uh, you know, that's, that's what we want to tell people. You need to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He has universal dominion. He has universal authority. So, he, it's, it's just fascinating. He's, he's saying, go, disciple, because I'm in charge. I'm in control. You can go with that knowledge. You're, you're not going based on your own authority. You're not going in your own power. You're not going seeking your own glory. Like I said this morning, that the, the objective is not to get disciples for me. You know, go make disciples for Skip. No. The, the objective is make disciples for Christ. That is, bring people into obedience to Christ. How in the world are you going to do that? Well, we saw some examples of that in Acts this morning. Through persuasion, dialogue, Paul, Paul would go into the synagogues and dialogue with them, persuade them. Yes, sometimes he got rocks thrown at him. Sometimes they said, tell us more. Can you come back on the next Sabbath and tell us more? Can you come back on the next one after that and tell us more? Can you meet with us tomorrow and tell us more? And sometimes they just said, look, get out of our, our town. But the method is always the same. You just go and tell. Go and preach the gospel. Knowing that Jesus is in charge. You say, well, what happens when they throw rocks at you? What happens when they run, run you out of town? Is it because Jesus doesn't have dominion in that area? No. He does. He does. <laughs> and... That's just one of those things we have to kind of leave to Him, right? I mean, if, if someone rejects, they don't want to hear us, then, um, you know, it's, that's in the Lord's hands also. But we, we go knowing He is sovereign. He's in control. 
It even says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think the idea there, this is not a verbal formula. I, I, I really don't think this is a verbal formula. Uh, I say it when I baptize. There's nothing wrong with saying it. Um, but uh, some, some churches want to make a... Uh, um, well, that's a long story. But some, some people want to make uh, say that a certain formula has to be used. I don't think Jesus is giving us a verbal formula here. I think he's still talking about authority. In other words, are you, are you going to baptize in your own name? No. We're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is, we are going, baptizing, and teaching under the authority of Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Under the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's, he's in control. So, the sovereign Lord of the universe is the one commissioning us, and He's the same one who's in control of all things. So let, me, let me give you one example of that before I move on to the next point here. Um, in Acts chapter 18, Paul is at Corinth. Let's see, in verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word. It's a good, good place to be. Testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. It's, pretty, it's not a real complicated message, is it? I mean, Paul's going around telling people Jesus is the Christ. He's telling the Jews Jesus is the Christ. Submit to Him. He's, he's trying to teach them to observe all that Christ commanded. Verse 6, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named, Tite, uh, named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, that is a God-fearing uh, man. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Well, there you go. Paul's, Paul's teaching. He's occupied in the Word. He's testifying to the Jews that, Christ, uh, that, that Jesus was the Christ. He's baptizing. And this is all while he's going, right? He's, he's on his missionary journey. He's going. So he's doing exactly what Jesus said. And some are rejecting him, like in verse 6. They reviled him, opposed him, and reviled him. And some are, are being saved. The, the Lord is saving some. They're coming to Christ. And in, uh, in verse 8, um, Christmas, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, verse 9, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Now, just, just a, a side note here. <laughs> that, that's, that's what we've got to do. Um, no, notice again. They, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. They, they have to hear the Gospels, what Paul is talking about in Romans 10. So, Jesus tells Paul, Go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you 
and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months. Another example of what we were talking about this morning. He stayed a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. And Jesus came to Paul personally and assured him he's in control. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. Come back to that in a moment. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And I, I think what he's doing there, uh, at least in part, is assuring Paul of success. If you just go on and preach the Word, even when people are opposing you and reviling you, I'm, I, I've got many people here. And, and I, I don't, I, I could be wrong here, but I don't think he's saying, Paul, there are a bunch of Christians around the city you just haven't met yet. Hang in there. You get around, you'll get to know some more people, you'll meet some of the brothers, and you'll see I've got a lot of people here. I think what he's saying is, I've got a lot of people here that I've chosen. They're not saved yet, but they will be. So keep on speaking. Don't be silent, because I've got many people here. I think that's what the Lord is saying, because this this is an initial trip here. Um He's sovereign. So we, we go knowing that He's in control. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we go and we baptize and we teach under the authority of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That is, with the authority of God, under the authority of God, we go in His behalf. Now, one more thing here. We go um, knowing this as well. Let me let me back up here because Matthew returns to a a theme. So I want to go back also. Let me let me first take you all the way back here to Isaiah seven. Isaiah chapter seven. get there myself. I'm going to the wrong page here. Now here, um, King Ahaz uh, is looking for relief from his oppressors, the enemies, and um, he's instructed to ask a sign from the Lord, which he refuses to do, and uh, is is rebuked for it, um, Ahaz says in verse 12, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Um, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Isaiah speaking to Ahaz and Israel, or Judah. In verse 14, Therefore, and he said, You wouldn't ask for a sign, but the Lord's going to give a sign. Therefore, verse 14, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now, what does the word Emmanuel mean? 
God with us. Amen. Amen. So Isaiah says, God Himself is going to give you a sign. The Lord Himself. Behold, the virgin shall conceive. And I do believe that's part of the sign. Some people want to say, well, virgin just means a young, uh, a young maiden, a young lady. Um, but young ladies conceive all the time. I mean, that, that doesn't seem like something that stands out a whole lot. But if a virgin conceives, that stands out. Okay? A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us. Now, there's, there's a lot of debate about the, uh, the original intentions there. And in other words, how did that play out in the day of Ahaz? Because um, we know, and which we're going to get to in a moment, but we know that uh, this is a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. Um, a lot of times, there is a prophecy that... that right, let me give you an example. Probably say it easier this way. A lot of times, the Lord will give a prophecy that has an immediate fulfillment, but also looks forward to something in the future. So, for example, when David wants to build a house for the Lord, the Lord says, No, um, your, your son's going to build my house. And in 2 Samuel 7, verse 13, the Lord says about David's son, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, is that a reference to Solomon or to Jesus? Well, in the immediate context, it's, it's a reference to Solomon. I mean, David wanted to build a physical temple, and God said, no, you're not going to do that, but you're going to have a son that will do that, and I'm going to establish um, his kingdom God, God is making covenant with David here. Says, "I'm going to, I'm going to build you a house. You want to build me a house? No, no. I'm going to build you a house, <laughs> like nothing you ever even thought of. And you're going to have a son, and I'll establish his throne, his kingdom, forever. That's interesting, isn't it? And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, we we know in the in the in the immediate future there, Solomon built." The temple, as God gave instructions, so the throne of David was was continued and established in Solomon. They, he, he actually uh, Solomon actually knew peace for a period of time, uh, you know, and, and all around him, which David didn't. David was constantly at war um, with somebody, either uh, an enemy or in his household. Um, and so the kingdom was established, the house of the Lord was built, and yet. This same prophecy looks beyond all of that to something greater. He shall build a house for my name, that is your son, your seed, David. Your son shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about something more, someone more than Solomon. Or as Jesus said, someone greater than Solomon who will have an everlasting kingdom like we just read about in Daniel 7 and like we saw in Matthew 28. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Well, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the writer of Hebrews tells us. So there's a prophecy where you have sort of a dual fulfillment. It does have an a, a, a application to that particular time and place. 
Well, what about Isaiah 7.14? A virgin shall conceive and have a son. Well, we don't know of any immediate happening there. In other words, it seems to me that even though there are different events playing out there in Isaiah's time, it seems to me that, that that is isolated to Christ. That is a reference to Christ. And I know the question comes up, you know, well, how is that assigned to Ahaz? It's going to happen 500 years after Ahaz is dead and gone. Um, that I don't know. Maybe the Lord just meant it as a sign to the Jews, to, to the nation of Israel. Uh, it's a reference to Christ. A virgin shall conceive, that is Mary, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, look at Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, notice that, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, that is, remember, she's a virgin, they, they've not... They've not yet come together, uh, says back in verse 18. She's a virgin. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. A virgin shall conceive, bear a son, bring forth a son. She will bear a son, verse 21 says, and you shall call his name Jesus, Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew tells us. He gives us a little narrative about the the conception and birth of Jesus, and he says all of this happened to fulfill what Isaiah said in Isaiah 7.14. The virgin, of course, is Mary. The son is Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And he's also called here Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Now, the reason I go there is because this has been part of Matthew's message all along. From, from chapter 1 all the way through, he's been presenting to us the person of Jesus Christ and all of his authority and all of his deity. And there it is, right in chapter 1. This, this was done to fulfill the prophecy that a virgin would bear a son, God with us. 
That is, He's divine. He is God with us. He has all authority. And then all through the, the, the Gospel account, we get evidences of that, don't we? Jesus will be walking along and demon-possessed people run up and fall down and the demons cry out, We know that You're the Holy One. Have You come to torment us before our time? And He speaks to diseases and they leave immediately. And He walks on water and He calms the waves and the wind. And He speaks to souls and calms troubled hearts. And He forgives sin. <laughs> These are all things that, that God... See, Matthew's been... He said it in chapter 1. This is God with us. And He's been saying it all the way through the book. This is God with us. And now Jesus is saying it here. Disciple. This, this is the commission. Disciple. As you're going, disciple, baptizing, teaching, teaching them to observe all that I command you, because, because I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Hey, Michael, you better, you better switch mics here. I have in heaven and on earth. So there's universal authority. So we go because it's the Sovereign Lord sending us, and we go because it's the Sovereign Lord with us. So he says, because of my authority, go and disciple. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Now that word always is actually a phrase in the Greek. All, all the day. So it's like all the day long. Throughout the day. I'm with you all the day. Throughout the day. To the ages of the ages. Every moment of every day, everlastingly, He is God with us. Boy, if we had time, you might say, is that future? Well, yes, that's the, that's, that's the fullness, that's the consummation. We get over into Revelation 20. He, he makes His abode with His people. There's not even a need for the sun, and there's no more night. His glory brightens the place. God does what He's intended to do from the beginning of the book. And I don't just mean Matthew or, or Revelation. I mean Genesis. From the beginning of the book, what you find in Revelation, God does what He's intended to do from the beginning of history, dwell with His people. And we are in His presence at that point so much it, it, it is at its fullness so that there is no more sickness, no more disease. There is nothing that defiles, no more immorality, no more sin presence. But brothers and sisters, for now, this is what I want us to get. It's not just out there somewhere. 
Matthew is saying in chapter 1, all the way through the book, and Jesus is saying here in chapter 28, verse 20, God is with us now. That's what Jesus says. Disciple, make disciples for, or behold is the word here, I am with you. So we go knowing that it's the sovereign God who has universal authority, the sovereign Lord, who's commissioned us and under whose authority we, we, we go and preach. And we go knowing that he's with us. We disciple knowing that he's with us. He's Emmanuel. So Matthew leaves off right where he started. Jesus is the Christ, (laughs) and he's God with us. All the day to the to the ages. To the age of ages of the ages. God with us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and Lord, thank you for your presence. What a blessed promise. What a blessed reality. To know you. This is eternal life. We might know the one true God. Jesus Christ, whom you sent. This is life. Lord, we're so thankful that you are with us even now and always will be. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.